The future of online TV is here. View exclusive content from your favorite talk radio hosts and new programs that you can't see anywhere else. Visit voiceamerica.tv today. The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Sports Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericasports.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. There's a strong link between sports and medicine. If you're not at the top of your medical game, you can't play well, or you just can't play. Welcome to Bruce the Sports Doc with medical expert Dr. Bruce Grossinger. This program looks at advances and breakthroughs in medicine and how it relates to sports. Plus, you'll receive preventative tips and analysis of sports injuries this week. Now, here's Bruce the Sports Doc. Welcome back. It's Dr. Bruce Grossinger. And this is the newest edition of Bruce the Sports Doc. Today is May 24th, 2011, and our episode is of Brain Injured Mice and Men. Today we're going to begin our show speaking to Ray Ellis, the sports director, and we're going to be listening to some live clips from Johns Hopkins University. We're going to hear the Baltimore Ravens team physician, Dr. Kevin Crutchfield. We're going to hear Dr. Peter Davies who is a Welshman who's going to talk to us about a potential cure for CTE and Alzheimer's disease. It's going to be a very exciting show. And at the very end, we're going to hear about Melane Bertrand from the National Institute of Health, who is going to be talking to us about traumatic brain injuries. I wanted to welcome Ray Ellis to the show. Good afternoon, Ray. Good afternoon, Doc. How are you today? I'm doing great. Uh, I wanted to lead off the show somewhat impromptu because of I just witnessed one of the most amazing comebacks last night. I don't know if you had a chance to catch the Mavs versus the OKC Thunder. Oh yeah, of course I, I did. I, I'm a frustrated basketball player, Doc. So I'm still in my in my world in my little mind there. I'm, I'm still thinking. I still think I can play, and I'm, I'm playing each one of these games that I'm watching. So. I did see the game. I enjoyed the game, uh, with the exception. Uh, I think OKC. Basically, what happened to them was they um, they they could have won the game. I think it's a lack of veteran leadership on that team. They're a young. They're one of the youngest teams. Uh, the the team itself is one of the youngest teams in the league, and the players um are also some of the youngest players in the NBA uh and I just think that uh, those veterans over there in particular Dirk Davinsky just took advantage of them. Yeah, I'll tell you it was uh it was remarkable. With 5 minutes left, OKC had a 15 point lead and I was expecting Dallas to start the bus, but Dallas went on a 17 to 2 run. Dirk Nowitzki was just playing out of his mind. Collison was draped all over him. And it was just a remarkable thing you know, to see Nowitzki. He looked, he, lo- he looked a little tired, but it was just like the little edge of the could. He was falling on one leg, th- shooting fadeaways, hitting nothing but net. 
it, it, it was just tremendous. And the last play of the regulation, when Sean Marion went up, it blocked the shot of Kevin Durant. I think that took a lot of courage to, to risk a foul at that point. That was, that was just an amazing play. Well, again, you know, uh, I think it was uh, a lack of veteran leadership because certainly Kevin Durant had the ball in his hands, and, uh, you know, he's tall enough, strong enough, and quick enough. He should have went straight to the hole with that, and and he didn't. He tried to take a jump shot. Uh, wasn't really ready uh, to take a jump shot. Uh, I don't think his jump shot has been blocked like that, you know, all playoff long, and here it is, it gets blocked, uh, you know, so... Again, uh, perhaps maybe even uh, veteran wisdom would have had him fake the shot, knowing that Sean may have tried to block it and and picked up a foul. But again, I think that's just a lack of uh, veteran leadership. Yeah, I totally agree. Uh, I guess being an old guy myself, I tend to root for these guys. You know, I, I, I find myself rooting for the Mavs. I was actually in 2003 at Continental Airlines Arena, and I was in attendance when Jason Kidd and the Nets lost to the Spurs. That was David Robinson's last game. And I just remember the look on Jason's face. And, you know, you, you didn't know if he'd ever get back there. And that was eight years ago. I also harkened back. I, I also spent a lot of time in Miami. And I remember, and I think you'll remember 2006, when Dallas had a 2 nothing lead against the Heat. It was Dirk and Jason Terry. They were riding high. And they just got completely steamrolled. And some people think that, that Dallas choked in that series. So I think Dirk and Jason have had, you know, they've always been recognized as great players. But now we have Kidd, Terry, and Dirk right on the precipice of winning a game at home to go to the finals. And I I think it's really exciting. Yeah, you know, uh, Doc, it's it's amazing that... uh you know, most of the time in athletics, when you find yourself in that position, you want to do the best you possibly can because there's no guarantee that you'll ever get that chance again. And these guys, uh, you know, perhaps maybe could just be a game away from at least, uh, you know, making it to uh, the NBA championship series. So, so we'll see how it plays out. Absolutely. And I wanted to switch gears now and, and go back to our, our favorite sport, I would have to say. Mine certainly and yours. Going back to the NFL, we have a segment which I would call to train or not to trade in the lockout. And what I did was I kind of considered uh, pros and cons, you know, arguments in favor of training and arguments against trading. I wanted to share them with you, and I wanted you to react to them. In, in my view, the arguments for training, number one is you have to stay in shape. That is, if you're going to play in the NFL and the season's going to happen at some point, you do have to lift weights, you have to trade, you have to run, and particularly – with respect to the quarterbacks and the receivers, the timing is really important. There's certainly been a lot of press talking about Eli and his group of young receivers in Hoboken, New Jersey. And also, it, the other side is what we call Jets West, which is Mark Sanchez and his group. And, uh, and a lot of these young receivers are hoping to latch on with either one of those two New York-based teams. So that would be a favor of training is... Get to know your quarterback. Try to latch on. Develop a rapport and get in shape. The other side of the coin is if you get hurt. If you get hurt, the way it works out now, technically, the player's contracts could be voided. And therefore, if somebody's injured, let's say uh, somebody throws them a pass and they tear their hamstring or they blow up their knee, these injuries could be treated like if they were playing basketball or got in a car accident, something that is non-football related. So these people are taking a real risk 
there are three types of potential coverage. One is COBRA, which is probably the most conservative way to go, is just to pay tail coverage for your own insurance. Some of the players, there's a lot of young guys, and some of these people are going on their parents' plans, but some people, like player Michael Clayton, is basically playing uninsured at all. He's basically flying bare with no coverage, and as Michael Clayton said, he believes the coverage comes from the man upstairs. So we certainly hope that God is shining on him. What, what, what are your thoughts about whether to train and putting yourself in the situation uh, if, if you, Ray Ellis, were playing for the Eagles, it's a lockout, uh, how would you handle this? Well, um, one thing for sure, Doc, is I've had the experience of uh, being a part of a work stoppage, uh, two of those, as a matter of fact. And uh, it's one of those things that um, that should be addressed um, by the union as it uh, provides some direction for its players, particularly with today's athlete and um, the bigger, the stronger, the faster, and, and the well-compensated athlete, he has more at risk. Uh, not only for himself, but for his family and probably his extended family, as well as the team. I, there is no way in the world I would think that any team owner or coach would suggest that his players at this time just sit back and become a fat cat and not work out. Uh, so, therefore, they should have the coverage that is out there and available to them in place. And if they don't, then that's a risk they're going to have to take because I can guarantee you this. If you go into training camp out of shape, you're not going to make a team. And the NFL doesn't have guaranteed contracts. So there's no way you show up to um, a training camp after you've been out all this time and you've had all this extra time to get yourself in shape. After all, that's what helped you become a professional is that your workout habits was that that exceeded uh, what the normal person would do. Yes. Um, I guess there's a lot of talk about where some of these wide receivers are going to land. As you know, Plaxico Burris is going to be coming out of jail. He's 34 years old. I remember Plaxico. I was, uh, I was in Phoenix, actually, your, your hometown there, or uh, your current town. I was in the end zone, and I saw Plax catch that remarkable pass from Eli Manning. And it doesn't seem like the Giants are going to sign him. It's just the posturing from the ownership. Uh, it just doesn't seem like they're going to take a chance on him. And the question is, who, we also have the uh, – we look at the other team. We look at the Jets. Uh, all of those guys, Braylon Edwards, they're not signed. So we have guys like T.O., we have guys like Plax and Ocho Seco. Um, there's a lot of talk. What are your thoughts about where these wide receivers are going to land? Well, uh, I would just say this. Certainly, I think that, that these guys have enough talent. I think you could throw Randy Moss into that conversation, too. Is they, have, they still have something in the tank. And so I think they have something they can contribute. Uh, you heard me talk a little earlier about basketball and veteran leadership. You know, these guys um, have, are proven players. And, and there is still a, a chance and, and a time for them to spend on a roster to contribute. So I can't tell you exactly where I think uh, they will end up at, but I certainly think they'll be playing on an NFL roster this year. They're just too talented. And, and Plex, even though he's 34 years old, uh, I think perhaps maybe you know he's going to be a young 34 because he still has a lot to prove. You know, when the young man left the, uh, uh, the game of football, of course, he was coming off you know one of his better years, and uh, you know, and the team winning a Super Bowl. So I think he has something still left to prove, and he wants to prove, and he wants to redeem himself. You know, I think uh, the same thing with Randy Moss. I think that Randy he wants to leave the game. He doesn't want to 
to tarnish his legacy. And he does have a legacy of one of the most dangerous and prolific wide receivers to ever play the game. So I think Randy wants to go out on, on a shining note. And then the same thing with Chad Uchocinco. You know, Chad probably has more in the tank left than, than any of those that, that were just uh, mentioned. But, but Chad didn't have his best year last year either. So uh, I think those will be guys, those three names mentioned, will be guys that will have a lot to offer the league, and they probably can't wait uh, to it's time for them to get back on the playing field and uh, in front of the national TV audiences. Yeah, it seems like most of the, um, a lot of the rumors lately in the last few days have Randy Moss rumored to be associated with the Jets. Certainly, um, he's had success against the Jets team. One of the most remarkable catches of last year was when Moss went up and, and caught a touchdown pass and just went up to the upper deck pretty much to catch the pass. And then, um, you know, Moss ran into a situation where, uh, you know, he was playing with the Vikings. It did work out there. He ended up with the Tennessee Titans. And I think he really liked to, you know, clean things up. I think he'd like to have a clean year playing for one team. I think that Rex Ryan, with, with his type of bravado, uh, and Randy Moss, that, that might be an interesting uh, pairing there. What, what do you think? Well, uh, again, I, I think that the you know the Jets have a, a good crew of wide receivers there. You know, um, you know Randy is, is just a threat. You know, Randy again would find himself at least twice a year uh, up against uh, you know his old team, the, the New England Patriots. Uh, you know, and 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 that's something that perhaps would be you know he might look forward to uh, to that. But but I, I think Randy, there's a couple teams out there that could certainly use uh, a Randy Moss. I, I tell you what, um, I don't think Michael Vick would mind having a Randy. Moss. Uh, there to help him stretch the field there in Philadelphia. You know, uh, Michael certainly could get the ball to him if he has time. So, uh, Randy, there's a couple of people who might consider Randy Moss. Yeah, I, I think so. I mean, I know um, Andy Reid at times plays things a bit close to the vest, and uh, but but again, they took a chance of Michael Vick. The two years, you know, when he came out of prison, he he was in shape. He, I think he's a you know, Vick is a very young 31. Uh, certainly, as an Eagles fan, we're really excited about it. There's a lot of talk about, you know, in Philly, Deshaun Jackson, you know, whether or not he's going to get a contract worthy of a number one. But uh, what we can say is it's almost like hot stove league in baseball. Like, there's there's nothing really happening, and we're just left to speculate. But uh, it looks like we're up against a break here. And, Ray Ellis, I wanted to thank you again for a tremendous segment leading off the show today. And... Uh, and I look forward to uh, speaking to you again next week. And thank you so much, and have a wonderful week. Great, Doc. You too. Your internet flagship station for sports, Voice America Sports. Dr. Bruce Grossinger is a board-certified neurologist and managing partner of Grossinger Neuropain Specialist. Serving the Philadelphia and Wilmington, Delaware areas in the fields of sports medicine, pain management, interventional spinal surgeries, and occupational medicine, Dr. Bruce is the director of the National Sports Concussion Program and works as a senior medical advisor for the National High School Coaches Association. We're involved in the propagation of increased safety measures in all levels of sports participation to render the games safer in terms of brain and spinal injury. 
injuries. This involves education of athletes, parents, trainers, coaches, and administrators at the amateur and professional levels. Clinical consultations and treatment can be scheduled directly with Dr. Grossinger at 610-521-6063. Visit Dr. Bruce online at brucethesportsdoc.com. Again, for consultations and treatment, call 610-521-6063 or visit brucethesportsdoc.com. This Is It Sports is an engaging talk program that includes you, the experts, and sports, all moderated by Coach Carl Hargrave. We'll talk about what's going on in the general sports world, collegiate and professional, take a look at youth-oriented sports, athletic development and sportsmanship, faith, and where it has its place in sports, along with a lively discussion with Coach Carl every week. Tune in to This Is It Sports with Coach Carl Hargrave every Thursday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Sports Channel. Internet flagship station for sports. Voice America Sports. You are listening to Bruce the Sports Doc with Dr. Bruce Grossinger. If you have a question or comment about today's program, please call in at 1 888 346 9144. That's 1 888 346 9144. Or send an email to Bruce at BruceTheSportsDoc.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to Voice America. My name is Dr. Bruce Grossinger. We're pleased to have Dr. Kevin Crutchfield on the show today. Dr. Crutchfield is here at the Johns Hopkins University for the uh, conference Impact Recovery. Now, Doc and I both share the love of sports. He was also an athlete. He's not just like me. We're, we're not neurologic nerds. We're athletes. You people have to realize that. So, doctor works directly with some teams you all heard of, the Baltimore Orioles, the Baltimore Ravens, and he also has eight years in the military and worked with the Special Forces. So with this, I want to introduce Dr. Crutchfeld, and I'd like him to briefly talk about his work with concussion. Thank you very much, Bruce. It's a pleasure to be on the show. I work with concussed athletes, and athletes are a very interesting group of patients to take care of. For the majority of them, they really want to get better. And the interesting thing about taking care of, uh, let's say, an elite athlete at the professional level is they're trying to hide their problem from you because they don't want you to pull them out of the play because that could affect their performance bonus, their ability to become a free agent next year. So that label of having had a concussion and pulled out of competition looms over them heavy. So when they come in to see me, I have to gain their trust. They have to understand, very importantly up front, that I'm not here to keep them from playing because that's their job. My goal as a specialist in brain injury is to help people get back to their life and back to their job. And their job is to perform athletically at the highest level. So telling them that I'm not here to pull them from playing but to make sure their nervous system will perform at a level that an elite professional athlete has to perform at before I let them back into play is a much more palatable way for them to approach the appointment. Right. So I think that's very important that, that you're on their team right literally off the bat. You're not a barrier to them, but you're going to help facilitate the return to play, but the safe return to play. Well, that's Could absolutely you, correct. 
If they tore their hamstring, they'd want to go see the trainer to get their muscle strong again so they can run the 40-yard dash in however insane rate they run it now. So they have to look at a brain injury the same way. And they have to understand that when their brain is injured, it affects their athletic performance. Now, Dr. Crutchfield, when an athlete comes to you, if you're on the sideline, give us a sense for the tests that you'd run. Obviously, we're, we're not doctors out there. We're just football fans here in the audience. But I think everybody, they always ask me, and I get a lot of diversity of different answers. And, and with your experience, uh, I know we're interested to find out, roughly speaking, in general terms, what kind of tests do you put the athletes through? And then give us a sense for how you decide when they're able to return to exertion, practice, and ultimately when they're able to return to play, if you could give us a sense for that. Okay, I'll, I'll be clear. I'm not on the sideline with the professional athlete. I am a volunteer team physician for my kids' high school football team, so I'm on the sideline there. But I think it's more important at the high school level to determine when it's safe because those players are at increased risk of more permanent injury or what we call the second impact syndrome, which leads to malignant cerebral edema, rapid brain swelling, and death. So I think the stakes are much higher in a high school athlete than they are in a professional athlete. The mature brain doesn't respond to the injury that way. So I really see the professional athletes after the game is over, within a couple of days, they've had a few days of time to heal. The trainer says, we think they're ready to go back in. You go evaluate their nervous system and see if there are any deficits that need to be addressed before we can get them back in and play. Now, the high school athlete, the most important thing is to go through the series of cognitive questions that you should ask them. Where are you? You know, what quarter are we in if it's a football game? You know, do you know the score? Who did we play last week? What did you have for dinner last night? Things they don't expect as questions. If you ask the same questions over and over again, they memorize the answers. Now, one pro athlete told me that his trainer always asked what day of the week it is. And he said, I memorize Sunday because I play on a lousy team. We never play on Monday night, and we never play Thursday night football. We're always playing on Sunday, so I can be practically brain dead and come up with Sunday as an answer. So you have to mix it up a little bit with what you ask and make sure they're oriented and that their brain is functioning. I also go a step further and do a few quick neurologic exam things. Look at extraocular movements on the sideline, test balance, and balance gets affected very early post-concussion. I had one player, a player on an opposing high school team, uh, the EMT that was at the game and myself walked over to assist the other team. She asked them all the questions. The kid answered all the questions properly, but he w was markedly imbalanced. He couldn't handle stand. So I said, no, you're not, you're not playing because your balance is affected. And that, and that brings me to a really valid point about when an athlete's ready to return to play. So it isn't necessarily returning to baseline on a computerized-based uh, cognitive test. That's important. But more important, an athlete has to be able to protect themselves on the field of competition. You played hockey. You know what I'm talking about. It's reaction time that gets affected and balance. If you're slow and clumsy, you're going to get hurt again. And it may not be another concussion. It might be a torn ACL. And as I tell the players, that fraction of a second difference in performance is the difference between someone lighting you up and taking you out or you scoring the game-winning point or game-winning touchdown. 
and the elite athlete knows exactly what I'm talking about because the game happens so fast at the pro level that decreased reaction time and even mental processing time means you can't play the game the way you should be playing the game. Doctor, I had a question as far as um, pharmacotherapy and uh, I talk to different people. Uh, I think we will agree that rest, resting the mind, especially in the young teenager, a lot of times you'll send them home, what are they doing? They're texting, they're playing on their computer. And you really have to categorically, and I have a 16-year-old boy, so you've really got to shut them down. And um, some of the docs and some of the traders, they kind of don't understand that there's exertion that could go on at home. So as far as your instructions to them, uh, when they go home, and also eventually how you determine when they can come back. Could you elaborate on that, please? Absolutely. I think the hallmark of the concussive injury or mild traumatic brain injury is a disturbance of brain metabolism. Sleep is the most restorative thing following a brain injury. I always take a sleep history. If the kid is not sleeping, we got to get him sleeping, whether it be with over-the-counter sleep aids, and sometimes, unfortunately, I have to go the prescription route, but I have to get them sleeping. You have to take away all those things that rob brain energy from the kid. Like you said, the texting, the Facebook, you know, they think sitting at home resting is on the couch playing the Xbox. That's a tremendous metabolic drain on their brain when that little bit of energy that's there needs to be used to repair the brain and reset things. That's the, of the whole uh basis behind the graded return to play criteria as well is we slowly have them increase their metabolic demand systemically to see how the brain responds. If the brain has healed, you can go rapidly through increasing athletic performance without exacerbation of the concussion symptoms. If the brain isn't ready yet, you rob from Peter to pay Paul. You start feeding the muscles all that energy and the brain runs out of energy and becomes dysfunctional again. So that is the whole basis behind what I call the Zurich ladder. You have to climb this ladder one step at a time to get back in into playing. And like a ladder, if you skip steps, you run the risk of slipping and falling down to the level below. Well, I really like that analogy. One thing we spoke about earlier, which I felt fascinating, was you know your your work as a stroke doctor and your basic science work at NIH and how. One could look at that and say, that's great, but how does it relate to what you're doing? You really were studying brain metabolism. And when you looked at stroke, you really were analyzing and localizing the areas of the brains that were injured. So it must have been tremendous, a tremendous lead for your work with concussions. Oh, no question. I, I, I sort of look back and say, everything I've done in my life has now come full circle to the ultimate job for me. I was an athlete growing up. I competed at the NCAA level and even played semi-professional ball in the Washington, D.C. area. I was an athletic trainer in college. Then I went on to medical school, thought I wanted to be an orthopedic surgeon until I realized the brain was much more fascinating. So now I've come full circle as a nerdy neurologist back in the athletic arena and having done a fellowship at the NIH, as you mentioned, in brain metabolism, this is really the hallmark of what happens post-concussion. So everything is coming into play for me to be a sports neurologist, concussion expert, and helping brains get on a path to recovery. Well, I, uh, like you, I think it's a very exciting time to be a neurologist because there's so much attention appropriately on concussions. I look at last year as the year of the concussion in the NFL. 
I look at the New York Times, Alan Schwartz, who's a friend of mine. It seems like every month he wrote a, a, a very informative article. I, I, you know, I'm sure you collaborate with the same people with Chris Nowinski and the people at Boston. And it's an exciting time in that we are uh, we're really understanding concussion. My brother Douglas is one of the executive administrators for the National High School Coaches Association. I'm really excited to have you interact with him because I know you're interested in youth sports and high school sports. And when you hear some of the data that comes out, only 40% of the high schools across the country even have an athletic trainer. No question. And even a much lesser number have any physician input at all. So it's really like the Wild West out there. So what we're doing is we're looking at thought leaders like you, Dr. Crutchfield, to help us develop criteria, to help, to help the people in Texas and California to develop certain criteria. And this is the time because you know, we, are, we are establishing this information right now. You and I are pretty young guys, and there's nothing better than preventing a brain injury and, and, and preventing second impact syndrome. I've met, you know, countless people that have had catastrophic injuries, cerebral hemorrhage, just because there was a lack of understanding and knowledge among the, the supervising coaches and trainers and, and it's devastating for the parents. And, uh, and I'm sure it, it, you'll agree, it, it's surprising how new all of this is for us. Oh, it's, it's incredible how this has evaded us as a society if we put more emphasis into sports. You know, I think this generation of children are far more involved in competitive athletics than previous generations used to be. And the toughest part about athletics now, especially youth athletics, is the overzealous parent that doesn't want to believe their child had a concussion. Uh, I had a kid say to me, I have to be better because I have to go to the lacrosse camp because that's where the college coaches are going to be. And I said, well, your brain heals when your brain heals. It doesn't heal because a college scout is going to be there. It heals because it's healed. So it's really interesting how we've evolved as a society and made sports such an important part of our lives. Right. And I think it's clear. I want the listeners to realize that we are not trying to shut down sports. For instance, I collaborate with Keith Primo, who's a hockey player, and Kerry Goulet in Toronto, and Harry Carson. And we love sports. We believe that it's a great learning experience for kids. We learned about winning and losing. We learned so much from sports. We're not trying to say that you shouldn't play sports. We're trying to say we have to recognize the signs when a serious injury occurs. We have to have neurologic input. And again, as neurologists, it seems that a lot of these different places seem to omit us. I think we're, in general, kind of a passive group. We're not as, we're not as bold as the orthopedic surgeon. We may not be as big and strong as a group. But uh, it's great to collaborate with you as, as a fellow neurologist. Well, it, I w- it, it's funny because I had a radio show host say to me once, well, I guess as a neurologist you really don't believe in hitting. And I said, no, to the contrary. I'm an athlete. I'm a soccer player. And if you don't think soccer is a contact sport, you never played against me. I love the big hit. There's a right way to play it. There's a way to do it within the rules. There's a way to do it within the rules with proper technique that dramatically reduces the risk of head injury. Well, I really want to thank you for your participation on the show today. And for all the listeners out there, I want to let you know that Dr. Crutchfeld has a very active practice. He's at the Berman Brain and Spine Institute as part of a group practice. He's very interested in treating your concussions anywhere in the Baltimore, Washington area. Doctor could be you could reach him directly at area code four one zero. 
9717. Again, it's Dr. Kevin Crutchfield, like the crutch and like the field. Very easy to say and easier to spell. And that's 410-601-9717. Thank you so much, Doctor, for your participation on the show today. Bruce, thank you for having me. My pleasure. Your internet flagship station for sports, Voice America Sports. Dr. Bruce Grossinger is a board-certified neurologist and managing partner of Grossinger Neuropain Specialist. Serving the Philadelphia and Wilmington, Delaware areas in the fields of sports medicine, pain management, interventional spinal surgeries, and occupational medicine, Dr. Bruce is the director of the National Sports Concussion Program and works as a senior medical advisor for the National High School Coaches Association. We're involved in the propagation of increased safety measures in all levels of sports participation to render the games safer in terms of brain and spinal injury. Injuries. This involves education of athletes, parents, trainers, coaches, and administrators at the amateur and professional levels. Clinical consultations and treatment can be scheduled directly with Dr. Grossinger at 610-521-6063. Visit Dr. Bruce online at brucethesportsdoc.com. Again, for consultations and treatment, call 610-521-6063 or visit brucethesportsdoc.com. Internet flagship station for sports. Voice America Sports. You are listening to Bruce the Sports Doc with Dr. Bruce Grossinger. If you have a question or comment about today's program, please call in at 1 888 346 9144. That's 1 888 346 9144. Or send an email to bruce at brucethesportsdoc.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to Voice America. It's Dr. Bruce Grossinger here on site. We're live at Johns Hopkins University, and we're very pleased to have Dr. Peter Davies from North Shore University. I just heard a, uh, a wonderful talk that Dr. Davies just gave about, uh, about CTE and about potential treatments in the future. So without any further ado, Dr. Davies, let me welcome you to the show. Thank you. Um, we, we've been working on this uh, chronic traumatic encephalopathy, or CTE, which is... Uh, a strange brain disease that's occurring in ex-football players, ex-athletes, wrestlers, um, boxers. Um, very strange pathology, unlike really anything else we, we've ever seen. Um, has some similarities to Alzheimer's disease. Um, there are tangles in CTE, as there are tangles in the brains of Alzheimer patients. Um, but but it's it's not Alzheimer's disease. There are other differences between CTE and Alzheimer's disease. But this is relatively new. We really haven't appreciated um, what a serious disease this can be in some ex-athletes. So I understand from your talk that you collaborated with Dr. Amalu, as well as the people in Boston, uh, people I know, Dr. Um, Dr. Cantu and Dr. Ann McKee, Chris Nowitzki, who's a great personality, and he's kind of the face of CTE. And a lot of the, uh, a lot of the NFL players are, are donating their brains to the people at BU. So as far as this entity, we spoke about it, uh, that it, it's still unclear. 
And what we're learning mostly is in death. The, the Dave Dorsett case where he actually killed himself in a way to preserve his brain. And apparently, uh, I, I, didn't, I, I just heard last week that the pathology confirmed that he had CTE. And this is kind of a political animal in that there, there were, there, the, the, we have the NFL, we have the Players Association, and there's different incentives to find or not find CTE. And in, in fact, th this is really a very new thing. And, and for somebody with yourself doing this for 30 years, having this new disease arise out of the backdrop <laughs> yeah. of Alzheimer's must be incredible for you. Uh, it's, it's really extraordinary. And, and as you say, it's a, it's a somewhat hot-button item right now. Nobody's really clear why this is suddenly appearing now. And, uh, and it is, as you said, the Boston University group are now taking the brains from a number of these athletes who die, and they do also just received the brain, I understand, of the ice hockey player, the Rangers winger, who died just last week. His brain was donated to the Boston University group because he was, a, I think they call it an enforcer, um, yes, who he took, was, uh, took his share of hits. Um, he may have had a little bit of pugilistica in there, yes, along uh, with ice hockey, where there's a lot of punching, a lot of fisticuffs, and uh, it, so, so this is interesting that, that, that he died. In fact, this is such a new story, I haven't heard whether, was that a suicide? Do we know if that was a suicide? No, his, his death was ruled accidental um, ingestion of alcohol and oxycodone um, in not excessive doses, but sufficient. The Jimi Hendrix type uh, death where he ended up choking on his own vomit, uh, an accidental um, drug interaction. I don't think it was, there was any indication of suicide in in, in that case, but we, you know, we, the, there's great concern among the hockey players um, about concussions, and now we're reading so much more about concussions in the NFL, and it, it's still such a mystery why one person can have a concussion and be fine, and then, and then we're seeing this savage CTE in the brains of other people who suffer concussions. I had three concussions myself playing rugby as a as a student and you know, I'm fine. <laughs> At least I can attest to that. <laughs> um, if we, uh, if everybody was as bright as you, we, we, we certainly would we wouldn't have a lot of work. We'd be like the Maytag repair person. <laughs> but certainly uh, uh, getting to uh, right to the meat of this, we were um, I was listening to you talk about uh, mice and some of, some of the studies with mice, they're actually able to develop tangles in mice, and the tangles really are part of are part of what we call the tauopathy, the uh, the brown staining tangles. And, and what I saw in your in your program was that you're able to study mice early on and even after months after having these tangles, and you're able to treat them with monoclonal antibodies. So if uh, again, we have a lay audience, but the, the idea that we might be able to treat something and monoclonal antibodies, if you could please walk us through in, in, a, in a basic way, th this is most exciting to me. Yeah, it, it's, been very it's been a very exciting idea. It didn't come originally from the CTE work. It came from our work on Alzheimer's disease. And, and in Alzheimer's disease, there are tangles too, just like there are in, in CTE. And we had made antibodies to tangles, which is 
making antibodies to allow us to visualize tangles. Um, but th then we also make mice, um, genetically engineer mice actually to develop tangles in their brains so we can study how tangles form really part of our research on Alzheimer's and CTE. And then somebody suggested, well, you, you've made these antibodies that bind to tangles. Why don't you treat the mice with the antibodies to see if it will prevent tangle formation? And I said, that's a really crazy idea um, because the, I'm going to inject the antibody into the mouse, into the vein or, or into the peritoneum of the mouse. Um, and then it would have to get into the brain and then it would have to get into the cells in the brain to inhibit tangle formation and it's just not going to do that that's what I said um, but I was persuaded eventually that it was something we should try um, and as you said we, we started with mice that were quite young and didn't have really any tangles in their brain very few tangles in their brain we treated them with the antibodies for four months and had a group of mice that we didn't treat, of course, as well. And it turned out that at seven months, the mice that we treated with antibodies had less than half the number of tangles than the untreated. So really very effective suppression of tangle formation, which if that worked in people would be spectacular. Um, so that would be striking. And, and one thing that you mentioned is that the actual technology of transposing the monoclonal antibodies, that is, we do it in mice, but, but the drug companies could regularly do this, and they have done it before with treating cancers and other diseases, so you don't feel it's such a stretch for them to potentially develop monoclonal antibodies relating to the, the tau protein elements, and that for, let's say we're talking about a pro football player who's suffering uh, profoundly, with memory, psychiatric problems, if this were to become available even on a uh, experimental, in experimental way, this is the first thing I've heard really, and it's so new that it, it, it's amazing to me that this could potentially lead to some type of treatment for right. CTE. Right. No, I think it, it is very exciting, and uh, there's a, a great deal of excitement around this idea in in the field it, because it might treat. The tangle that might prevent the tangle development in CTE might also work in Alzheimer's disease, which is a much bigger, a bigger population. But that's why the pharmaceutical industry will get interested, or is interested in a big way, because um, if we can get the, the drug companies are very good at taking antibodies and making them into drugs for people. It's been done spectacularly with really great success in treatments for breast cancer, treatments for rheumatoid arthritis, Enbrel, you, you see the commercials all the time, treatments for, these are monoclonal antibody treatments um, and they all start out the way my experimental treatment does with mouse monoclonal antibodies. It's not difficult to make that into a treatment for humans. Um, we hope it's going to be available in an experimental way, maybe two years. Um, certainly, it could be that quick. Um, and as you say, you know, with the, if we knew which of the football players were going to get CTE, may, we may want to get them lined up right now. Well, I know uh, we were talking about collaboration with Harry Carson. Harry Carson 
is with the NFLPA. He's the head of the concussion initiative. And Harry himself, it's interesting, anecdotally suffered from multiple concussions. He himself is a big proponent of another non-proven method. He's, he's a big hyperbaric oxygen guy. Right, right. And so, so Harry is, is collaborating with people in California uh, with about hyperbaric. And, and I, as a clinical neurologist, I'm, I don't, you know, I read the literature in hyperbaric. I see, I see a lot of naysayers, particularly in the military literature, right. the governmental literature, uh, not being very high on hyperbaric, but it's, it's great that you're, you're located in New York because of Harry's location, because the, uh, I just see everything tightening up. I see right. my collaboration, you know, with the University of Pittsburgh and those guys, the Impact guys, the Boston guys. And I think this is all coming together. And with Dave Dorison, I think it, it, it was such a high-profile case that I just... I mean, last year was the year of the concussion in the NFL, yeah, and I just think we just can't ignore it. I think that you and I are part of this of this wave of this tsunami in medicine, and it's it's very it, for you and I who've been down the road a few times in medicine. It's kind of exciting. To oh, be, uh, wouldn't you say? Absolutely. I think I think it's an incredibly exciting time, but we've got to we've got to get a handle on what what the incidence of CT is, how many players are going to suffer from this, and what are we going to do about it. I don't think, you know, whatever treatments have been tried in the past for Alzheimer's or for head injury, we don't know what the impact in CTE is going to be. We don't even have a group of patients today with CTE. I mean, we don't have 10 patients identified, you, you, and you have CTE, that we could test something in. We right. need to get organized, and it's got to happen now. Right, and, and the, the real interesting thing, unlike other diseases, we're learning about it, the Chris Hedry, you know, just a sporadic, bizarre situation where a guy jumps on a lady's truck, and he falls off, and he dies. And he's right. a young, healthy guy, and then you find out he has CTA. Right. And we have Andre Waters, who's a 45-year-old guy, and he kills himself. Right. Then we have Dave Dorson, who's successful in business, he's a trustee at Notre Dame, everything seems to be going well, he's got a radio show in Voice America, you know, right. a couple hours before me, and then one day, he kills himself. Right. So the problem is, we, we don't have the clinical data when these guys no, are alive. we don't. And there's uh, also appears to be it. somewhat of a lag. There's almost a five to ten year lag. These guys retire, we kind of lose sight of them, and then they present when they die, you know, at uh, you know, Mike Webster, you know, and, and these people... They're dying young. They're dying in their late much, 40s to 50s. Much way, too way, young. Much, much too young. For late the, 30s and 40s, and most most of them. And that this is, we've got to identify people, players, football players, hockey players, whoever they are, with CTE before they're dead and we're taking their brains out. We need to get some kind of organization to help these players when they realize they're having problems, they have somewhere to reach out to, they can come for a full medical neurologic evaluation, and then perhaps we will test some of these therapies on them. We, we could do hyperbaric oxygen this week if we, you know, if we had a population of patients to test it on. We don't have that population yet. We don't have, you know, a group of people who say, you know, I played in the NFL, and I have real problems with my memory, my whatever. We need to get these guys before they're in real trouble. Yes, well, uh, I know this is going to be the first of many discussions because 
uh, here at Voice America Sports. We're kind of at the spokes of the wheel in promoting concussion awareness. And um, it, it was great talking to you, Dr. Davis. I wanted to thank you so much for You're your welcome. participation in the show. And at this point, it's Dr. Bruce Grossinger, Bruce the Sports Doc, signing off uh, for Dr. Davies here from Johns Hopkins University. Thank you so much. Thank you. Your internet flagship station for sports, Voice America Sports. Dr. Bruce Grossinger is a board-certified neurologist and managing partner of Grossinger Neuropain Specialist. Serving the Philadelphia and Wilmington, Delaware areas in the fields of sports medicine, pain management, interventional spinal surgeries, and occupational medicine, Dr. Bruce is the director of the National Sports Concussion Program and works as a senior medical advisor for the National High School Coaches Association. We're involved in the propagation of increased safety measures in all levels of sports participation to render the games safer in terms of brain and spinal injuries. This involves education of athletes, parents, trainers, coaches, and administrators at the amateur and professional levels. Clinical consultations and treatment can be scheduled directly with Dr. Grossinger at 610-521-6063. Visit Dr. Bruce online at brucethesportsdoc.com. Again, for consultations and treatment, call 610-521-6063 or visit brucethesportsdoc.com. Your internet flagship station for sports, Voice America Sports. You are listening to Bruce the Sports Doc with Dr. Bruce Grossinger. If you have a question or comment about today's program, please call in at 1-888-346-9144. That's 1-888-346-9144. Or send an email to bruce at brucethesportsdoc.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back, America. It's Bruce the Sports Doc. We're really excited to have in studio... Melaine Bertrand from CNRM. That's the Center for Neuroscience and Degenerative Medicine. Melaine, it said here was a student, but actually she's much more than a student. She's actually studying to be a doctor. She's a PhD student at Johns Hopkins University. Her office is in Rockville, Maryland. And Melaine, firstly, welcome to the show. Tell us a little bit about CNRM. Thank you for having me. Yes, I'm with the Center for Neuroscience and Regenerative Medicine. We're a collaborative effort with the National Institute of Health in Bethesda, Maryland, as well as the Department of Defense. We have multiple research studies focused on traumatic brain injury taking place at National Institute of Health, Walter Reed, and Uniform Services University. So it seems to me that You've got a tremendous amount of backing, that is, government backing for the military. You also have civilian input. And the National Institute of Health is clearly the most predominant place where we get together to share and collaborate. You have tremendous databases. And I see here that your director is Dr. Raymond Dion, who's actually a Ph.D. and principal investigator. Could you tell us a bit about, as it relates to MRI and neurocognitive testing? I'm a neurologist, of course. MRI deals with pictures of the brain, and I know that you've just launched a lot of this stuff very recently, so share a little bit about uh, just how things are going initially. Yeah, so everything is going 
pretty well so far. Um, all of our protocols are in the active recruitment stage, um, and we have a wide range of protocols. Currently, um, we're looking for both civilians and military, and there are about 20 active protocols at the moment. Um, some vary from exercise studies to neurocognitive testing, MRI, and blood testing. So we're looking for biomarkers, and it's just a wide range of um, research taking place right now. So if there are people out there who are either brain injured themselves or relatives of brain injured people, they want to enroll in the studies. Um, if you could tell about the contact information, how could they contact you and Dr. Dion? Uh, because it seems that you know, hopefully there's a lot of people out there listening. They want to get involved in clinical trials. Maybe you could share your contact information. Yes, definitely. We encourage people to take part in our research studies, whether it's you or someone you know may have had a traumatic brain injury or post-concussive syndrome. Um, you could reach us at one eight five five T B I C N R M, and again, that would be one eight five five eight two four two six seven six. That's our direct line. Um, most likely you'll be speaking with me directly, and I would do an initial telephone screen just to get some background information on the participant and injury information and see which one of our many protocols you may be eligible for. Right. So if the people enroll, it, they won't have to spend any money. In other words, this is government funded. So for instance, they could be studied, the information could be shared with them, and they don't have to fear that they're going to get a bill. Basically, they, they can enroll. We're going to use them to help learn about concussions overall. And you might develop, in the future, you might develop protocols where you might, for instance, treat them with various medicines or different treatments. So they may be actually eligible to be on the front lines of receiving care from the NIH, and that would be really an exciting thing, wouldn't it? Yes, definitely. Of course, all of our research is taking place with no cost to the participants. In fact, um, participants are being compensated for their time and effort, and some of our studies also cover travel reimbursement. Wow. So I'm looking here at your brochure, and I can see that in order to qualify, you have to be 18 years of age or older. You have to have symptoms or diagnosis of traumatic brain injury or post-concussion syndrome. That is, you don't have to be necessarily injured on the, the field of sports. It could be a military injury. It could be any kind of head injury. And if you qualify, then you'll be able to interface with Malene and her team. You also have to be able to read and understand English because the, the testing itself is in English. I'm sure it's going to evolve. This is, a, this is a pilot study, so it's, I'm sure it's going to evolve at least to include Spanish-speaking people, but the initial study is for English-speaking people, and so they are the study criteria, and uh, give us a sense for the type of testing you'll be doing. So with um, our screening protocol where we would do a telephone screen to get some background information, um, that's just a telephone screen. Um, if you're invited to take part in the part two of the study, that would um, have a more extensive brain injury questionnaire and potentially a blood draw as well. Um, depending on which of our many protocols that a participant may be eligible for, there are a wide range of testing that takes place in each of the protocols. And there's also different time commitments. Some of our studies offer a one or two day visit. Others have a longer term follow-up for up to five years. So it depends 
depends on the person's interest as well as their time commitment and which study they are eligible for to take part. Well, that's great. Well, it's certainly great meeting Melaine Bertrand today. And uh, I think this is wonderful because my practice is grocery door paid specialist. We have hundreds, if not thousands, of patients out there in our database. We're going to be interfacing and directing it to you, and you're going to be the point person for this. Yes. So great, great to meet you. I'm sure we're going to, I'm going to, at a future time, I want to meet Dr. Ray Dion, and I'm sure he'd be interested in promoting your program on the airwaves of Voice America Sports. Yes. So here, I want to conclude this segment by thanking Melaine Bertrand. It's Dr. Bruce Grossinger, Voice America Sports, signing off. Thanks for joining the discussion this week on Bruce the Sports Doc. Tune in next Tuesday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time for another edition with Dr. Bruce Grossinger on the Voice America Sports Channel. We'll see you then. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Sports Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericasports.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.